So, Father God, speak to us today, Lord Jesus. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Today's sermon title is The Works. The Works. And uh, I know when we hear about the works, some of you guys are thinking cheesesteaks. Some of you guys are thinking like pizzas. Some of you guys are thinking, you know, just food with the works on it, right? Well, the works that we're talking about today are a little different than that. And I want to start off with a story about a young boy. This young boy was running an errand for his mom, and um, he went to the store to buy some eggs, right? So he goes to the store to buy some eggs, and he puts it in a bag, and he's excited because his mom has entrusted him to go to the store. That doesn't really happen anymore. Like, I remember my mom giving me money and saying, okay, you have enough money to get this, this, and this. This is what I want you to go get. And she would give me the money, and I would walk by myself to the store. You know, I don't know, in the world that we're living today, I don't care how old Abigail is, I don't really think I'll ever let her go by herself to the store. Um, so, she, so I go to this, you know, this little boy, he goes to the store, and he gets the eggs, and he's excited because mom trusted me today to get this. And, and all of a sudden, he's skipping home and he trips and in slow motion the bag is falling through the air and not only does it hit the floor but then he lands on top of it and we can safely say that all the eggs were broken at this moment he's sitting there and he's crying because he's like man what am I going to do? I'm going to go home. Not only do I don't have the money, but I don't have the eggs. And she, my mom's going to be so upset. You know, she's going to say I shouldn't have been running. And, you know, you know it's always going to be so, a, a reason why that she's going to be upset. And, um, and uh, as he's there crying, people start to gather around. Oh, it's okay. You know, oh, it's all right. Don't cry. Don't cry. And it's older gentleman walks up to little boy and he says, it's going to be okay. You know, you don't need to cry. He puts, he puts his hand in his pocket and pulls out a quarter and he gives the little boy a quarter. Then he stands up and he looks at everybody else. He goes, I care for the, I care 25 cents worth. How much do you guys care? And the reason why he said that was that it's easy to say, oh, it'll be okay. But that's not what the little boy needed at that moment. He needed eggs. He didn't need your it's going to be okay. And so today, um, as we continue in our, in our series in the, in the book of James, today we're going to talk about is it just enough to care? Or is, it, is, it just, is it just enough to have faith? Is it okay just to have faith or are works needed? Or is it okay just to have works? Is faith really needed? You know, um, we've talked about this question in the past sermon called justification. And if you guys didn't see that, go back and see it. Um, and we talked about 
being justified by works of faith. And we, and we had this discussion then, but, I, but you know, hey, we're going through the books of, book of James and we're back here, so let's, let's tackle it again and we'll, and we'll talk about a couple additional things. And so um, the main question, the main question is, is it about faith or is it about works? Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to, 16, 14 to 26. Now, this sermon today will either be really short or really long. So I'm going to try to get it somewhere in the middle, guys. <laughs> um, nobody laughed. Like nobody. I have one laugh right here. But the funny thing is, you know, that's true. You know, it, it, could, it could end up being really short or kind of long. But I know that you guys want to celebrate, woo-woo, you know, with the flags and driving through the streets, right? Is that, you know, you guys are anxious to go out there into the neighborhood. I don't want to be your stumbling block. <laughs> um, if you're watching from another city, today is the Puerto Rican parade here in Philadelphia. Well, it's canceled. But, but the barrio doesn't believe in cancellations. We're going to party no matter what, right? And so that's what's happening here in the neighborhood. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does, it that, does that do? So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some may have faith and others may have deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete, and so it happens just as the Scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. We could read that. And we can still ask the question like, okay, so which one is it? Some of us are like, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm still confused. Like, which one is it? You know, do we get to heaven through faith in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross? Or do we get to heaven by all the good things that we do here on the earth? Because, you know, the thing is that there are many people living in that way. Like, let me just do as much good so that I can get to heaven. Let me just do as much good on earth so that way when I get before God, he can go down the list of all the good things that I've done. And so we have people living by, living off of this notion that by all the good deeds that they do, that that's what they need for 
the entrance into in, entrance through those pearly gates, right? Which one is it? Doing good or having faith? Being a good person, having faith? Well, Paul definitely has an answer for us. You know, he's not going to stay quiet, right? <laughs> so if you turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, Paul says, Abraham was humanly speaking, the founder, Abraham was humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish uh, nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. But that's not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and and God counted him righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. To make it a little more clear, we go to Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 28. And Paul once again says, so we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. So Paul is pretty much saying, look, I don't care about the works. It's about your faith in God. Is that, is that what he's saying? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. So, so let's, let's see. Because according to this, we know that Paul is crystal clear on his stance. Like his is obvious, you know. James is convinced, though, that, that, that works are involved in this. And then and Paul is saying faith. James is saying works. Paul is saying faith. Can it be possible that the Bible is contradicting itself? No, don't turn off the station at this point. you got to hear me out. No. No, the Bible cannot contradict itself. So there has to be an explanation. There has to be an explanation. So let's continue to read. Let's continue to read. You know, um, in, in verse 24, James is making a point that man is justified by works and not by faith only. And the funny thing is that James and both James and Paul both make their point using the same example of Moses. They both are referencing the same verse, the same moment, the same story. And they're both making their own points using the same scripture. It's kind of funny. We have a conflict, but is it really a conflict? They do not contradict each other. Um, They look at the same truth through different angles. And so uh, let's talk about this. First off, our works should definitely demonstrate our faith. They should demonstrate our faith. Imagine you have a neighbor and uh, your neighbor's desperate. Your neighbor's desperate. You know, uh, they have no food. You know, uh, the clothes that they've had on, you know, they're starting to kind of like fall apart. Has anybody ever worn something so much it just falls apart? I have a pair of jeans. I refuse to let them go. I refuse. I wear them to like cut the grass and like to do like, you know, stuff around the house. But uh, they're starting to show too much you know, of my skin, um, and, and, and I, have, I can't put anything in the pockets. If I put something in the pocket, it will end up on the floor because each pocket has holes. The back jean pockets have holes. It's just they feel so comfortable. But they're disappearing. They're disintegrating. 
right before my eyes. Well, this, this neighbor, the clothes, not by choice, because that's all they had to wear, uh, is starting to disintegrate. I mean, it's starting to break apart. They have no food. They have no clothes. They're so desperate. No matter how hard they try, they can't find a job. They're trying. You know, one thing is for people to say, I'm trying, and, you know, do this. You know, like the, because that's how we look for jobs now, right? We do this, right? We just, uh, we do this. Back then, and it's not even too far back then, because I remember looking for a job in going when, it, when I was in high school, going into each store. You pick a plaza, yeah. and you walk into one store. Hey, how you doing? I would like to know, you guys, are, you guys hiring? Uh, no. Okay. Next door. You guys hiring? No. Next door. You guys hiring? Yes. Fill out this application. Stay there. Fill it out. They always tell you, never take the applications home. Because back then, they used to let you take them home and stuff. But it, the employer wants, if they see you stay there and fill it out, that makes a big difference. You take it home and fill it out. How do I know you can do this on your own? See? So back then, these are all things that in high school we were taught, stuff like that, right? You know, and now you just go like this and you look for jobs. But it was like you would look. So then here you go. This person is looking. They're actively looking. They're not just home. They're looking for a job. They can't find the job. And, and no matter what they do, it's not, it's not turning in their favor. And finally, there's a knock at your door and your neighbor shows up. And you see your neighbor, you're like, wow, it's been a while since I've seen you. You have lost some serious weight. What is going on? And, you, and the neighbor tells you, like, I'm going through it. You know, I can't find a job. You know, I have nothing to eat. These clothes, they might as well be invisible. You know, it's starting to, to fade away into nothing. Um, I, I just don't, I, I don't know what to do. You take a look at him up and down, you're like, man, that's, that's messed up. It's messed up. Man, I wish, I wish I could kind of help you. I mean, you know, um, we're down to three meals a day. And, you know, I haven't been able to buy new clothes for two weeks. It's been two weeks since I bought my last shirt and jeans. And so, um, man, uh, hey, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you, though. I'm going to be praying for you. What James is saying that that kind of faith right? He's saying, what kind of faith is that? He's calling it dead. What kind of faith is that? Because real faith is demonstrated by real action. Real faith is demonstrated by real action. Verse 18 of our text says, show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's implying that without works, it is impossible to demonstrate the reality of our faith. So you see, this is James's point. James's point is not saying that by your works is, what you're go- is, is how you're going to uh, get to heaven. It's not by works that we're not just, uh, he's not saying that it's by works, by just doing nice things that we're justified before God. He's not saying that if we just do good deeds and this and that and blah, blah, it's, you know, it's going to be well for us. What he's saying is by doing the works, it should show the faith that you should have. And that's why it may sound confusing to some. But, but James is not going against what Paul is saying because, yes, it's by faith. But what James is saying is like, yeah, and because of the faith that you have, your works should be evident. James is just really piggybacking off of Jesus. Back in Matthew chapter 25, 
verses 37 to 40, Jesus says, um, Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked, give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick in person and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. Pretty much Jesus is saying that in a relationship that we have, we should be doing those things. We should be caring for sick. We should be clothing the naked and feeding the hungry, and we should be actively doing this. Oh, but pastor, you know, we haven't organized a Kensington feeding since June. Listen, it's not saying the church needs to be doing this. It's saying you need to be doing this. And there's a big difference because some of us will only do that when we go on a church trip. Some of us will only feed the hungry when the church has organized an event. Some of us will only feed, uh, clothe the, the, the naked when we organize an event. Some of us will only care for the sick if we set up, you know, if, if, uh, if uh, one of the hospitals sets up a tent and, and we show up. This is a daily, a daily responsibility. Now, what happens is there are going to be times in your life where you are made aware of someone's situation. When you are made aware of. And some people are quick to call me. Like they got me on speed dial, right? And they say, Pastor, we, um, this family doesn't have any food. I say, okay. Well, what do we do? I said, okay. Well, you know, as, you know, as a church, we always want to help, right? And we'll do what we can. But, but, but what, I want, what I would like you to learn, what I would like all of us to learn, is that when God brings things up into your lives, into your situations, into your awareness, many times it's so that you can act on it and that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Could you imagine if the body of Christ was like that, like everywhere? That every follower of Christ, when saw a need, and has the ability to help in that need, reaches out and helps, then we start, to see this, we start to see the similar situation of the Church of Acts in the beginning, right? And they were just like, there was no need among them. There was no need among them. They would, oh, they would be there for one another. We're a family. We should be here for one another. Pride should not exist in the body of Christ. One thing... About last year, we had COVID, we shut down, I was your new pastor, and I remember like telling you guys, hey, if there's any need, let me know, if there's any need, let me know, and nobody would tell me anything. I'm like, well, we must be a super blessed church, because no one needs anything. Um, guys, we can never feel that we can't be honest enough to share our, what we're going through. Now, I'm not saying stand up on here and you tell the world, but there's, you have, look around, look around. Matter of fact, take a second to look around. Look around. Look at each other. Give each other the, what's up? Do the, those are your brothers and sisters. Those are your brothers and sisters. 
They're here for you. We're here for, we should be here for one another. And if, and, and if for some reason one person isn't here for, for you, it doesn't represent what the body is supposed to be. So don't automatically be like, oh, nobody wants to help. Jesus himself has an expectation that faith will be demonstrated by practical good works. He's not talking about the miracles and the supernatural. He's saying the practical feed, clothe, take care of the sick. These are, these are practical things, things that we all can do, works that actively demonstrate the reality of our faith. It's all important to know that faith alone is not enough. Ever read uh, Peter's Confession of Faith? in Jesus as the Son of God. So we see that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. It says, Simon Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was like, you know, no one had told Peter, you know, uh, that you know, he was the Messiah. No, it was just like, this was this confession that he had uh, been kind of given this revelation, right? And so it, it got Jesus' attention, and he blessed Peter for it um, because he had received this revelation from God the Father, and he, they, he says that, right? And so the thing is this, but there's, but there's something interesting about this confession of faith. It's not enough to just say, you are God. God is God. Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, we all could say that right now. I go outside and find a random stranger and be like, just repeat after me. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Okay. Do you really think he is? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. The interesting thing is that verse 19 of our text says that even demons believe. Even demons believe. There have been demons that have made confessions of faith. What does that mean? That have acknowledged who God is. So we can acknowledge who God is, but that's still not enough. We look at these demons, right? In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, it says, A demon says to Jesus, said to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Another encounter with a demon in Mark chapter 5, verse 7 says, Another demon said to him, What have I to do with you, Jesus of the Most High God? And these, this is before Jesus even says who he is. He kind of just walks up on the scene. And they acknowledge. This is a confession of faith. Like, I know you are God. Even the demons believe. So is it enough just to say, well, I know who God is? If demons can say the same thing. Demons knew who Jesus was and and they made the right confession, but no demon is ever going into heaven. It's not enough just to say, I know who God is, and because I know who God is, I've secured my spot. I've secured my spot. He says that even the demons, the demons tremble, believe and tremble. The word tremble means to shake involuntary, right? right? It's a result of fear and anxiety, so in other words, not only do they believe in the reality of God, but they're smart enough to understand that they should be scared. The kind of faith that demons have, the faith where there's nothing more than just a confession, James calls it dead faith. Dead faith. So if you're just saying, I know who God is, and you walk away, dead faith is what you have. 
There are essentially two kinds of faith, and one is an intellectual faith. And if you guys can please, do you guys have the slide of my mathematical uh, equation here? All right. So, um, many of us were in high school, <laughs> and we learned math, and I remember being in math and, and different, you know, in algebra and calculus and all those, and I'm like, when am I going to use this in my life? And I was right. No, no. <laughs> Some people do use this, so let's not knock it, right? You know what? When, you, when you're doing something for school and you realize, you ask yourself, when am I ever going to use this in life? Take away the, the, the actual uh, subject and understand that it's the, it's the practical side of being able to study and learn something new. That's what you're taking from it, right? Being able to not know it, to study it, and then know it. And that's what you take away with you. Amen? <laughs> All right. So we remember formulas, and it kind of looked like this, you know, V equals U plus AT. Does anybody know this equation? Okay. All right. Somebody online is like, I do. They, they just Googled it. That's what they did. <laughs> if you need a refresher, let me help you out. Let me help you out. The letter V stands for the final velocity of an object. The U stands for <laughs> the initial velocity, right? The A is the acceleration, okay, Ruby, at 9.8 meters per second. And the T is the amount of Time. Oh, okay. We smart in here. We are smart. Amount of time that has passed. Now, now it makes perfect sense for everybody, right? It still doesn't. Um, it makes perfect sense that the formula is true. And some of you guys are like, well, it doesn't make sense to me. But if you say it's true, and the teachers have said are, are, it's true, and they're teaching me this, then it's probably true, right? Um, and so you say, when you go before a teacher, say, okay, when you're sitting in a class, you say, okay, I believe you. It's probably true. And you walk away believing that formula is, is, is right. It's true. It's called... Um, it, it, for you, it becomes just an intellectual faith because it has no bearing, no practical bearing on your life. You're just, you sit there and you're like, okay, I, if it's true, it's true. If it's true, it's true. But it means nothing to you. It means nothing to you. It doesn't apply to your life. It doesn't change your life. You can't use it in your life. And so it's an intellectual faith in the equation that is true. No, it's true. Here's another mathematical equation. Everybody likes that one a little better, right? You know, um, you go into the store, you have $10. Your mom teaches you that you're going to go, and that's going to cost you $5. You're going to pay for it with the $10 bill. They're going to take away the $5 from it, and they're going to give you back. And if they don't, you go back and say, you gave me the wrong amount. You know, you need to give me some more. You, you know it. And so what happens is that the mathematical fact of 10 minus 5 
equals 5 is not just intellectual for you. It has practical meaning for your daily life. You're going to understand it. You're going to use it. It's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, a active, active in your life, right? And so the first kind is intellectual faith, which James is calling dead faith. And the second kind is what we call a practical faith because it's real and it actually means something to you. There's more to having faith than just saying that you have it. There's more to having faith than just saying, yeah, I guess there's a God. I mean, you say there's a God? You know, there's a God. Caesar said that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And we, you know, we kind of believe it, but it doesn't change us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the way we live or how we treat others or how we serve others. It's just, all right, well, hey, if God is God, God is God. But in the other sense, it's like, okay, God is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to apply it to my life. And, and, and so what does it mean when I apply it to my life? I'm going to live out this relationship with him. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to serve him. I'm gonna, you know, in everything I do, I'm going to make sure it goes, it goes according, to, according to the word of God. You know, if I go around telling you guys that I am a giraffe, guys, I am a giraffe. All right? If I did something crazy like that, you guys would be like, show me the proof. I want to see evidence that you are a giraffe. And obviously, we are looking at someone that is clearly not a giraffe. A giraffe has leg, four legs, antlers, a long neck, and they're really tall. And some of you guys are like, Pastor, you are not really tall. In fact, uh, uh, Angel, Angel and Damien, our last uh, Tuesday at prayer night, they were like, hey, pastor, just want to let you know that um, we thought you were taller. I said, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, when you're, on the, when you're like on the altar, you look taller. And like now that I'm standing next to you, you're like, you're shorter than me. Like I'm like, all right, guys. All right. I get it. I'm not blessed in the tall department. But if I tell you that, right, you're like, uh, I don't see it. It's not true. It's not true. That's the same thing. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's the same concept when someone says, I am a Christian, but does nothing to show it. There's no evidence. There's no evidence that you can look at a person and tell that there's an active relationship with Christ. And that's bad. So that's why I tell people, like, just don't say you are a Christian. Just don't, 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 don't say it. Don't say it. Say, say, that, say something like, I like to go to church every once in a while. Say that. But don't call yourself a follower of Christ and misrepresent who he is. I, I, I mean, I can only imagine how he feels when we misrepresent him, you know? When, we, when a person claims to be a Christian and there's no proof of that claim. And if that's the case, 
then the faith of that person is considered dead faith. And if faith doesn't lead to transformation in behavior, it's also dead. If you are the same person, if you behave the same way as you did before Christ, then was there actual Christ in, in, in the middle? Does that make sense to you? If you were a certain way that was not so pleasant, that was not so biblical, that was not so godly, you say you had an experience with God where you accepted him into your life. You say so. You say you are now a Christian, but your actions now are still the same way they were before Christ. He calls that dead faith. And we'll talk about, about, a little bit more about that in a minute. And so uh, it takes me to Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. And this is where... We have a guy named um, John the Baptist. This guy's a, 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 another one of the original gangsters of the, of the Bible, right? And uh, yeah, he's an OG. And uh, he says this. He goes, when the crowds came, to, and this, is the, this is what Scripture says. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Yo, he was straight to the point. Show me, show me that you are now in the faith, right? Don't just say it to each other. We're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Mm. Are we replaceable with stones? Hmm. Hmm. Well, according to this, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I guess that makes sense. What good is having a tree if it's not, you can't get any nutrients from it or any, you know, if you can't get anything, it means it's good for firewood. Hmm. The crowds asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came up to, to be baptized and asked, okay, well, we're corrupt ba- uh, tax collectors. What, what do we do now? And John says, he says, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Because back then, these corrupt tax collectors would go up to, you know, hey, Rachel, you owe um, the government 10, and you owe me 10, so that's a 20. And she's like, well, taxes are just, no, you owe me 20. And they would have to pay whatever the tax collector was collecting. And many times, those tax collectors were collecting for themselves as well, making their pockets fat. And that's why they were so hated across the land. He tells them, um, just collect what the government requires. What should we do, asked some soldiers. And he replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Because, again, soldiers would go around and harassing, and because they were soldiers, 
You had to, you know, you couldn't do anything because you could get thrown in jail. You could get beat up. You can get killed. And so they would just walk around, harass people. They would accuse people of like, hey, you're a thief. Come here. And they would say, pay me. Pay me. I'll leave you alone. Give me money. And they would harass and extort and so forth. And, 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 and what John the Baptist is pretty much telling them is that how they should act once they have faith. Because they're asking, well, how about me? I'm a tax collector. Okay, well, keep collecting your taxes, but only collect what you should be collecting. Well, I'm a soldier. Okay, well, protect. Don't harass people, you know? And so what he's saying is feed the hungry, clothe the naked. Don't, do, don't take more than you should. Don't intimidate. Don't falsely accuse. Both James and John the Baptist are both saying that works without, uh, uh, without works, faith is dead. Real faith leads to a transformation in behavior. So think about it. If you were once an angry and bitter and spiteful person, if you were a thief, if you were an abuser, if you were a liar, and you say, Jesus, come into my heart, change me, and you now are a thief, a liar, bitter, angry, wrathful person, an unforgiving person, if you, if you still are, then... Um, was there ever a true acceptance of Christ into your life? Or is it just a dead faith like, I now know who God is, and you walk away? Okay, they told me, uh, someone said in church that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it. And you thought that that was it. James uses two illustrations from the Old Testament to support his argument. And let's take a look at them. Let's take a look at them. And in these point, and, and, and as we look at them, we're going to point out two important faith qualities. The first story is about Abraham. There came a great time in Abraham's life when God wanted to see the quality of his faith. The quality of his faith. And what he did is he called him to sacrifice Isaac. He called Abraham and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to bring him up to the altar. I want you to sacrifice him. And some people who don't know that story right now are looking at me like, wait, what? He asked him to kill his son? Well, he asked him to sacrifice his son, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, we look at the story and, and we ask ourselves, like, well, how did Abraham respond? How would you guys respond? Uh, God, you know I can do like, you know, 30 to life if I do that. And uh, I, I, maybe I got it, maybe I got it crisscrossed. Maybe I didn't hear you right. Maybe you want me to take away their PlayStation. Maybe you want me to take away, you know, the, the car keys or the cell phone. But uh, kill Sacrifice? How did Moses, how did Abraham respond? He, did he argue with God? <laughs> did he run in the opposite direction like Jonah, which we studied about, right? Um, did he pretend not to hear? Because, you know, we, like I said, we're guilty of that. You know, you know God is saying, you know, hey, uh, Vince, 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 get up, Vince. And I'm like, 
he's talking to me. Oh, you're not talking to me. You know, you, you, you. And then he's like, oh, oh, God's, God's trying to get sweetie's attention, you know? We do that all the time when God is like, you, you, you. And we're like, oh, them. I see. I, I, uh, you know, you follow, the, you follow the finger like, oh, oh, yeah. Yep, they're talking about them. And we pretend we don't hear God. We pretend that we, we, we don't understand that he's trying to get us in a certain area. Just this morning I heard a message and um, uh, I was listening to uh, a gentleman speak, and they asked him a question of, how did you, were you, how did you know you were called to this? Because sometimes, like, you know, like, God is calling you, God is calling you, God is calling you. And this gentleman's story was simple. He says, I, I really, I just saw that there was a need, and I started helping. I saw that there was a need, and I started helping, and I realized as I was serving that this is where God wanted me. But he said the calling was seeing a need. The calling was seeing a need. And so sometimes we see the need like somebody really got to help that person out. Somebody's really got to help them over there. Um, you know, and, and so, and so uh, did he do these things? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Verse 12, chapter 22, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He got up early. He got ready. He got the donkey ready. He got all his supplies. He got two guys that's going to go help him, you know, help him carry all this. And he takes his son and he's on his way. Man, that sounds like... Abraham was anxious to go sacrifice his son. Some people would say, why was he so excited or so quick to sacrifice his son? I would have battled on it for like months. I would have sat on that for weeks. He was not anxious or desperate or or quick to sacrifice his son. But he was eager to please God. He was eager to please God. And so the first quality of faith is absolute submission. Ooh, we do not like that word. Absolute submission is an important quality of faith. Let God be God. Let him call the shots. Do you have this faith this morning when you can say, God, I submit to what you want in my life. Whatever he tells you, whatever he sends you, whatever he wants you to do, can you say, okay, and be eager to please him in doing it? The second story that James references is about a woman named Rahab. And uh, James says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So who was Rahab? Rahab was uh, a street worker, a lady of the night, a prostitute. That's who Rahab was. Okay? The Bible is very clear about it. And uh, when she found faith in God, she took a chance. She took a chance. She took in these Israelite spies, and they went, when, when they went into Jericho to kind of like scope the land, and uh, she takes them in. 
She hides them. Somebody snitched somewhere because the word of these spies around has reached the king. Now, here you have this prostitute with a predicament. She is housing the enemy of her people. And the king has sent soldiers to hunt him down, and they show up to her house. She could take the easy way out and be like, they're right there. They're, I ain't going to say where they're at. I'm not going to say where they're at. You know, and kind of like, point. She could have did that. You know, just to kind of, hey, they wouldn't have known that she gave them up if she said, I'm not going to tell you where they're at. They left the other way. And, you know, they, they maybe, you know. She chose. She took a chance. She chose to tell them, like, hey, they, they, they went that way. They're not here while hiding them in her roof. Easy way she could have taken out, but she didn't take the easy way. She had faith in God, and that faith led her to hide the spies, and she took a risk. So the second faith quality is risk-taking. How many risk-takers do we have in the house of God today? Jose's a risk-taker. Okay, Jessica. Okay, Chris. I see you guys. I see you. I got your names written down already. We're going to take some risks together. It wasn't about, it wasn't about, um, it's not about doing stupid things. It's not about doing stupid things, Erica. You can come on. It's not about doing stupid things. She's like taking notes. Like. But it's about stepping out in faith and taking a risk. Taking a risk and trusting God, trusting him. It was the faith, it was that faith that inspired risk-taking that took Rahab from being a prostitute in a pagan country to a new land to where she became the great-grandmother of King David. King David, one of the greatest king that Israel had seen. Do we have this faith? Are we stepping out in faith, taking risks, and trusting God? When was the last time you can say that you stepped out in faith? When was the last time you can say, you know what? Uh, that decision or that choice I made was a faith was a step of faith because I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know, you know, if I was going to be able to do it. When was the last time we did that? You know, we, we don't take those moments to take those steps of faith, and then we wonder why we don't see God doing anything in our lives lately. We wonder, like, hey, it feels like I've had this stagnant relationship with the Lord. And, and Lord, you know, I, I, I'm praying and um, I read the word and I come to church. I even go to Bible study and pray. I even do all that. But it just feels like, I don't know, like there's something missing. And God's like, okay, well, take a couple steps of faith. I want to do something in your life. You're too comfortable. You're too comfortable in your bubble. You're too comfortable in your circle. In closing, we go back to the original question, does the scripture contradict itself? 
Are Paul and James at odds with each other? No. The key to the whole mystery is found in verse 26 of our passage that we read. And it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What James does is uses an analogy to show us the relationship of faith to works. It's like a body that contains a human spirit, right? A human spirit alive, alive, alive body has the human spirit within it. Like a body that is alive has one. If it does not have that human spirit in the body, then it means that the body is dead. In the same way, a living faith has the works already within it waiting to be done. If not, then that faith is dead. It's not faith alone that saves us. No, I'm sorry. It is faith alone that saves us. But if that faith does not produce fruit, if that faith does not produce good works, then it's not real faith. It's dead faith. Can you guys stand to your feet? Our lives have to show, our lives have to show that we have relationship with God. If we say we have relationship with God. If you're standing here today and you are a Christian, if you're standing here today and you say, I have accepted Christ into my life. If you're standing here today, and if you're watching on, on, at home, if, if, you're, if you're listening and you say, I have accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, the next question is, are there works in your life that reflect that faith? Are there actions in your life that reflect that faith? Does your language reflect that faith does your attitude does your character reflect that faith yes we all get angry but there's a there's a line i think there's a line that we have to be careful because anger can turn into wrath and this rage and that's not godly Are we still the same person we were before we came to Christ? Are we still struggling with the same things? And it's been years. I've been, I've been saved for five, six years. And you still struggling with that? Oh, well, Pastor, how can you talk like that? Well, I can talk like that because I know that I serve a God that's powerful. I can talk like that because I know a God that delivers and sets free. I can talk like that because I know that if you truly want to be set free and delivered and you go before the feet of the Father, he will set you free. That's why I can talk like that. The problem is that many of us, many, even after coming to Christ, we don't want to be set free from some things. Oh, it's embarrassing. Oh, it's been too long already. You know how it is, you know, and oh, I've been already saved for five years. I can't go up and ask for this shame, embarrassment, all that stuff, pride. 
It gets, into the, it gets in the way, and then you end up living with things that God should have set you free from years and years ago. Your life has to reflect your faith. It has to. If it does not, then do me the favor and just don't tell anybody you're a follower of Christ. Oh, that's so messed up, Pastor. That's, 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 that's rough. That's rough. You're talking, you're supposed to be all nice and loving. That is love. That is love. Because sometimes you say you're a Christian and some people know about our faith and they expect Christians to be loving, to be graceful, to show, to reflect the characteristics of God, to reflect that, you know, to kind of like have that, the love of God in us. And if we don't, we misrepresent who God is. As you guys know, as I mentioned before I began, um, my wife's aunt is now with the Lord and just looking at her life, thinking about her, you would have to be blind, like physically blind to not be able to see her faith and her walk with God. And you know what? Even those that are blind would still know about it. There was no denying her commitment to the Lord. There was no denying her faithfulness in ministry. There was no denying the passion that she had to see people get saved and and then extend love and grace to people that really didn't deserve it. Because, you know, we're, we're called to love everybody. We're called to show you know, love and grace to everybody, even to the people that don't rub you the right way. Even if you didn't know her, just in, just in this past six months, in the last six months is when she kind of, you know, pretty much struggled with some health issues. And, and, and so she, there were times that she would try to get to church on Sunday and at this point she had a little oxygen oxygen tank that she would take with her so she could breathe easier she had like a scooter that she would kind of take and and I remember speaking uh, my wife speaking to her and we found out that she fell trying to get into the car to go to church and so we, I hear my wife telling her, like, okay, maybe you should just relax and, 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 and watch from home today and this and that. And she was like, watch from home? I'm, I'm going to church today. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord today. Not only for me, but so that she can also be there to, to, to assist and to minister and to be a part of what God was doing. She was like, I don't care. And so with all the, with all the things that she was dealing with and all the problems that she had, just looking at her, you can see her faithfulness and commitment to the ministry. I was thinking about that this morning, right in the office, right before service started. Her example of, of loyalty and commitment to ministry. And, 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 and um, I said, we could learn a lot from a previous generation. I know we're quick to say, oh, you guys don't know today. The times are different. You got to get with the times. You know, I know we're quick to look at our elders and say, oh, you don't understand the ways of today. 
but something that they understood that we just don't seem to get yet. We haven't gotten it. Is why it's important to be faithful to the Lord and to the ministry. We're not getting it, people. We're not getting it. Don't you understand that our time here on this earth is to represent who God is? As much as we want to go on vacations, which we need, as much as we want to have fun and, and, and relax and, and, and take our kids everywhere, which we all want to, and there's nothing bad with that, why are we here? Because we will have an eternity to have fun. We will have an eternity to relax in the presence of God the Father. Why are we here? We are here to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to answer his every call. We are here to say yes when he asks us to do something. We are here to say I will go when he sends you somewhere. We are here to be the hands and the feet of Jesus when they are suffering. When there are people suffering, we are here to show them the compassion of Jesus. Why are we here? What are you doing with the time that you're here? What are you doing with it? Some of us are saying, well, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, I'm glad you are. We all are. But if you remember when you were a child, right, and they would tell you, we're going to go to Disney World in a week. That was the longest week of your life because you did nothing but wait. You did nothing but wait. When I hear someone tell me, I just want Jesus to come or I can't wait to be in us, I go, great, then you should be doing more because then time will fly by and before you know it, you'll be in the presence of the Father. church, does your faith produce works? Do you have faith that will take risks and trust the Lord? Do you have faith that would absolutely submit to whatever God asks of you?